Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Mark Duffett, Ph.D., about the article, High Quality Randomized Controlled Trials in Pediatric Critical Care, a survey of barriers and facilitators published in the May 2017 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Duffett is a pharmacist in the Department of Pediatrics at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Duffett. Thank you. Before we begin, do you have any disclosures to share? No, I have no financial disclosures. Okay. Clinical research and particularly high-quality randomized controlled trials are obviously important to moving the field of pediatric critical care forward. What do we know about the RCTs that have been been published in pediatric critical care. How many are there? How many were successfully completed? What do we know? Well, there, are some, there is some good news. Um, in 1985, we had none published. As of 2016, there's over 344, and the numbers are increasing every year. So that's, that's, on, that's on the good side. We know that doing trials in any area is difficult, and we, we, trials in the ICU are even more challenging. So on the downside, most of the trials that are published are quite small, and this obviously can limit their, their impact. So the median number of children randomized is, is only 50. So that means that you know, half the trials published enroll less than 50 children. Another, th- another thing that can be concerning is that about 30% of the trials that are published are stopped early. And you know, the most common reason for stopping is related to feasibility, and that's often recruitment problems or futility. So clearly, even though the numbers are getting better, they are often small, and they're still really hard to do and hard to finish. So tell us about your study. Why did you do it? What was your objective? Well, this is part of a program of research looking at how we can improve the, the state of the evidence available from randomized trials in, in pediatric critical care. We need, clearly we need more trials and we probably need more high quality ones. So we did this study to identify barriers and facilitators to conducting high quality randomized trials. And, you know, we have some ideas about what we think would improve the state of the enterprise, but we were interested in in the perspectives of researchers who've actually managed to complete a trial and publish a trial in the field. And we thought that these folks who have the most experience would be the best position to answer this question. So how did you do this study? This was an online survey. We have a questionnaire and we asked the respondents, so the researchers who had published trials, we asked them to rate the importance of a range of barriers and and the effectiveness of a range of facilitators on seven-point scales. And we also asked them to name the, the three most important barriers and the three most important effective facilitators. And that way, we could get any additional items that we hadn't put in the, in the original questionnaire. So we selected barriers and facilitators with content and, and methods experts from our research group. And, and based on some previous research that had been done in other, other fields, uh, we did some pilot testing and revised it based on the, the feedback of that. And then because we're interested in ways that we, things that we can actually do to improve the state of research, we grouped the barriers and the facilitators into three categories. And those were based on, you know, who can affect change within within those. So we grouped them into those that were largely within the, the purview of the research community. So that would be things like trial design and collaboration. Those that were a little bit broader within the clinical and research community. So, you know, the culture in the ICU, the you know, physicians and patients who are in the ICUs. And then external things like funding and the number of, of um, critically ill children that there are. Who did you survey? Who did you send it out to? We maintain a database of published randomized trials in pediatric critical care. It's at picutrials.net. 
And what we did is we took the first and last authors of all the publications, and we tracked down email addresses through public sources. And we came up with at least one author, an email, a working email address for at least one author for 90% of the published trials. So we sent them a link to the electronic survey. So tell, tell me about what you found. What was your response rate? Our response rate was 32%, but we did get a response from an, at least one author from half of the published trials. And then we were really pleased that the folks who responded were really the more experienced on this more experienced side. And that's exactly who we wanted to be able to answer our questions. So when compared to the researchers who didn't respond, the respondents had more often published more trials and their trials were more often cited, which I think tells us they probably have, to have a more an expert group in our, in our respondents. Where were they from? We had respondents from 25 different countries, which was really great to get a little bit more of a focus from outside of North America and Europe. North America and Europe did contribute the most respondents, but 78% were from high-income countries. So we did have a smattering from middle-income countries, and, and I think that's really important because most of the research that's been done in the past is focused mostly on North America and, and Europe. When you evaluated the responses, what did they identify as the major barriers to conducting randomized controlled trials? Overall, within the, you know, the, the category of, of research, researcher factors, there were factors related to the length and complexity of consent and getting consent in a timely manner. Another important barrier that was identified was the lack of, the really lack of many established research networks. When we looked a bit broader at you know, PICU clinical type barriers, their time was an important barrier. So academic and clinical duties that didn't leave enough time to pursue research. And then there was another group of barriers related to how physicians in the ICU choose therapies. So a particularly important one that was identified is that physicians may choose to decide which therapy rather than enrolling in, in, in the trial. The other category of barriers were the you know, external things, and they're almost everything related to funding. And funding plus the coordination required for multinational trials. So you can see that there's a range of different barriers from very proximal to the patient around how the consent form is designed, all the way up to larger systemic things about multinational collaboration. I'm interested that a number of clinicians decided not to enroll because they preferred to choose the therapy. Does that reflect a lack of equipoise with regard to what the study, the trial was studying? Well, there's at least two potential explanations for that. One is that the trial is not asking a question that clinicians are engaged in, or perhaps that the culture in, in that particular unit or in that particular group is probably not, hasn't, hasn't fully committed to the trial. Uh -huh. And obviously that, that will differ depending on the context and, and, and the trial. And that was one of the challenges we encountered in this, is so much of it is dependent in the context of the particular study and the particular researcher. Right. What were the facilitators for successful trials? Well, here we asked respondents what they thought would be the most effective facilitators, the things that would encourage completing a high-quality trial. And so using the same three categories again, the looking at research, looking at facilitators related to the researchers themselves, the number one facilitator was conducting trials in collaboration with a research network. Following that were mentorship and then some factors, again, around consent, so simplified consent forms, deferred consent where appropriate, along with training for formal research methods, training for investigators. So those were the main 
facilitators for researchers in the category of the broader category of the ICU clinicians and, and researchers. They are protected time, and again, some of these mirror nicely the barriers that they identified, but some are quite different. So protected time obviously mirrored the barriers that were identified, and within also important were getting support from the academic department, from the physicians in the ICU, and then from the hospital administration. One that was a little bit different in that category was that they identified an important facilitator that clinicians value trials when making clinical decisions. And I think that's really important. I think something we we overlook is, is, you know, how the results of our trials are going to be used. And then finally, at an external level, nicely mirroring the uh, barrier, the funding barriers that were identified were you know, all of the facilitators were funding-related. So they revolved around, you know, being able to recruit patients more quickly and, uh, you know, 24 hours a day and more research personnel. So those were all, you know, variations on funding. Were there differences among different respondents with regards to the identified barriers or, or facilitators? We thought this was very fascinating. We, we, we looked at whether the years of clinical experience, the research experience, whether they've done a multi-center trial, and then where they come from in the world was related to differences in the importance of different barriers and facilitators. The biggest effects were with experience. So more junior researchers face different barriers than more experienced researchers, and that's not surprising. But we asked about clinical experience, not research experience. So it seems that you know once you get into your career, some things get easier. And this may give us some clues about how we can focus our efforts on more junior researchers to provide some mentorship and get them started because they obviously face different barriers. Most of the barriers for the differences for more junior investigators focus on getting support for their research from the physicians in the ICU or from the, the academic divisions or from the hospital. The other area where there were differences uh, which we were quite surprised at, was uh, based on geography. So respondents from middle-income countries rated the importance of limited opportunities to collaborate and few established networks as really important barriers. And almost on the flip side, the high-income countries, they rated the documentation, bureaucracy, and increased costs as being more important barriers. So that tells us that if we're going to do something about this, there might be some differences on what's important around the world. Interesting findings. Um, What do you think this study means to the pediatric critical care research community and perhaps the second part to the clinical community? I think from the pediatric research community, it tells us there's probably, there's not one single thing we can do to improve things. And I think we knew that going, going in. I think what this study does do is give us a little bit of a framework for recognizing that there are things that we can do as researchers to improve the research that we do and how, how we do it. And there's kind of, I can, we, we kind of framed it around three potential, three, three foci of types of things that we could do. So one would be you know, creating opportunities for collaboration and mentorship. And this is not something that you can go and just say, you know, collaborate more. <laughs> um, that would be nice, but it doesn't work like that. These collaborations have to evolve. And, and we're doing a follow-up qualitative study to look at this about, you know, how these communities develop. So I think we need to do some work on how can we encourage these collaborations and mentorship to happen. Secondly, I think we need to work on building a, a culture of research where clinicians and academic departments value either both participating in research and, and value the, the output. And then obviously we need to do something about funding. And, and those three three factors are probably interrelated and synergistic to some degree. On a broader level from the, the pediatric community, 
I think the first step is to recognize that we need more and better trials. But based on this survey, I think there's some things that we can do, even if we're not researchers, or even if research is not the primary part of our career. And so one is making participating, supporting, and using research are a priority in your division or in your unit, and then for advocating for time and, and, and resources to support the research that happens in your unit. And I think we also need to look at how can we change the culture so that participating in research, either as a clinician or as a patient, is part of routine care rather than an exception. So I think putting all that together, we, we kind of need to expect more of the research that we do. And because you know, we really need high-quality trials to, to help us improve the care that we provide. I think that those are important points. There are several very effective pediatric research networks that are highly productive and, and working on mentoring and developing trials, but we have not had nearly the success that, for example, pediatric oncology has had. And the point you made about participating in trials as an expectation is an expectation in pediatric oncology. If we could get that into critical care, it would be a huge step forward, I think. Yeah, and I think so. Now, the context may be a little bit different, but of course. Um, just because it's hard doesn't mean that we shouldn't, try, we shouldn't do it. Right. And obviously, the way we do it might be different than they do, but I think it's a good example of how, you know, there are other, other fields that have done this sort of thing, and it may be possible in our it is possible in our field. And then, you're right, there are good networks around the world. There's Polisi, there's the Canadian Critical Care Trials Group, and then there's a bunch of other groups that have formed out of, um, around particular trials, and it will be really great if we can find some way to encourage these groups of researchers that come together for a specific trial to or a specific research to expand that and do another one and, and build up those networks. And I think the the culture within the field of pediatric critical care, as it hopefully will move in the direction of recognizing the importance of these trials. So those clinicians who really don't want or are not in a position to do the research studies them, themselves will not be reluctant to refer their potential patients for enrollment in clinical trials. You mentioned that as a barrier, and I think that's one that within the community could be modified. Yeah, um, and you know we need to make it so that simply, and I won't say simply because it's not like it's simple, but putting your patients or giving your patients the opportunity to participate in trials, we have to find some way to reward that and encourage that. And, and I think part of that may come down to how the academic and the healthcare systems work right. and, and what they prioritize and reward. Right. But, you know, you can't do the research without the clinicians at the bedside. Nope. Nope. You absolutely can't. Some of the things that I thought also were also interesting, what, what the participants didn't think was important or thought were less important. And, and these are barriers that we often, you know, the first ones that we go to, we talk about how few critically ill children there are or about how worried parents are about putting their kids in trials, but those actually rated fairly low. And the same thing about competition among researchers, we expect that to be a little bit higher. So it, it goes to show that sometimes we're surprised about, you know, what it, we think is a barrier and what is actually a, a barrier. I think with the effective networks out there, the competition issue is much, much smaller. Those groups are so engaged in let's take the field forward and let's mentor our junior people and let's support each other. So I, I, I'm sort of not surprised that that was less of a barrier. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's really hard to do a study, especially by yourself if you're in a center that doesn't have a lot of support. Right. Um, and you're not linked up with folks who have done this before and whose experience you can learn from. So I think we need to think about how can we provide these opportunities for people to develop these relationships. Do you have any final comments you want to make? I think that this is, was a really fascinating study to do, and I've, it's really great to get the perspective from people around the world. And 
what we've done here is like a first look at it. Like I said, we're following up with a qualitative study. We're interviewing researchers about you know, to flesh out some of these themes that have been identified in, in the survey. But I think the really exciting part, what are we going to do about this? And that's going to be an awful lot harder than studying it, but I think that's the really exciting part. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We have been speaking today with Dr. Mark Duffett from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, about the article, High Quality Randomized Controlled Trials in Pediatric Critical Care, a study of barriers and facilitators, published in the May 2017 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org slash membership for more information. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM. Dr. Margaret Parker is Professor of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.